Marner's going to center the top line. Let's not overthink this. But after that, hmm, good morning to you. Good Tuesday morning. I'm Dan Kovacevic of DK Pittsburgh Sports. This is Daily Shot of Penguins. It comes your way bright and early every weekday if you're into football and or baseball. I also offer up Daily Shots of Steelers and Pirates right where you found this. Development camp opens up. Saturday. Just thought I'd throw that out there. Development camp opens Saturday. You know what that means? Players wearing penguin sweaters will take to the ice in Cranberry, and it'll look like, feel like, actual hockey. Kind of, you know? There'll be stuff to report on. There'll be stuff to discuss. I'm looking forward to it. I always enjoy development camp, and as we get closer to it, I'm going to share with you A couple of fun stories over the years from things that occurred there that ended up really, really mattering over the course of time. That said, there's virtually zero chance, actually no, there's zero chance that anything that happens at development camp will influence anything that happens in the coming regular season. That's not the way this roster is structured. It's still a veteran group. It's still a goal of winning the Stanley Cup, however feasible or not that might be. That's going to be made a little tougher, of course, with the team missing both Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin to open the season and who knows for how long. There's one player who's going to slide up, and that is Carter. He's going to be between Brian Rust and Jake Gensel, unless Mike Sullivan has completely lost his mind since the last time we saw him. There's nothing really to evaluate there all that much. You're not going to take another center on this team and slide him ahead of Carter the way he played for you in those playoffs. You're just not. It's the second center spot that ends up looking more like trouble. Because as soon as this conversation opens with anyone, one of the first names to emerge is that of Evan Rodriguez. I'm sorry. I have a pretty decent amount of respect for Rodriguez, who he is and what he is. But he's not a top six center under any circumstance. He doesn't fit the style. He doesn't fit the mold. He's barely passable as an emergency-level top six winger. Think about who the wingers are going to be on this second line. Almost surely it's going to be Kasperi Kapanen and Jason Zucker, neither of whom you'd want sliding to the middle themselves. So what matters the most in this equation isn't you know, who can slide comfortably up and down a depth chart and, you know, what happens to the third line or to the fourth line if you move someone to the second line. There are coaches who think like this, and I occasionally wonder if Sullivan doesn't do that himself, although he will not share that assessment at all. He once told me that when he and his coaches show up for work the morning on game day, they're Number one priority when putting together the line combinations is what can we do 
to make sure that Sidney Crosby has the players around him to give him the greatest chance of success. That's a pretty healthy plan to take into your day. Now, for a long, long time now, it's also been a really simple plan because you just say it's Rust and Gensel and do away with the rest of it. But now it's not. Now it's not simple. Except if you do the one thing I'm about to suggest. This portion of Daily Shot of Penguins is brought to you by Fubo TV. The monthly cost of cable is over 200 bucks. Fubo TV is 65 bucks a month to watch all the same channels, including AT&T Sportsnet. And right now, Fubo TV is offering our listeners of this program a seven-day free trial and 15% off your first month. Pretty good deal. All you have to do is go to FuboTV.com slash DK. Once again, it's a seven-day free trial and 15% off your first month. FuboTV.com slash DK. Teddy Bluger's my answer. Teddy Bluger fits a lot of the different boxes that you'd want to check for this very specific situation. One is that Teddy produces points on a pretty consistent basis, considering he's never on the power play, and that some of his points come shorthanded. So whatever you see from Teddy comes five on five. He is a very good, not elite, very good passer. He is a pretty good goal scorer. Give Teddy a chance, a quality chance, and he's going to put a quality shot on net. He's not going to waste it. He's not going to... shank it and make you wonder why you ever passed the puck to him. Teddy's got some skill. Heaven knows he works on it. No one is out for practice longer than this young man. And he works on skill elements. Shooting the puck all different ways, all different angles, different styles of shooting, catching passes, one-timing passes, receiving passes out of the air. Just, it never stops with him. And that shows on the rink. That's why Ron Hextall kept Bluger through the expansion draft when a lot of us, myself included, would rather have seen Jared McCann and or Brandon Tanev protected. Bluger's still here, and Bluger can make that difference. I at least feel it'd be worth seeing if he can versus having the mindset that, well, if you leave Teddy on the third line, you can put together some, you know, checking-type unit that has Zach Aston Reese and Brock McGinn Uh, trying to recreate the line that was in place with Tanev for the longest time. But you can't do that. I'm going to repeat this. You can't prioritize bottom six developments over what's happening in the top six, especially when you're going to need offense. If I put Bluger 
between Zucker and Kapanen, I achieve a couple of things. One is that I'm putting a player on the rink who I know can help me, who I know can win draws, who I know can back check. And I'm also freeing up maybe your most skilled, don't bite my head off on this, winger. I know that everyone's going to say, what are you talking about? Jake Gensel's on his team. Gensel, and, I, and I get that. Look, Kapanen has never had a 40-goal season. Jake has. But Kapanen can do things on that rink that Jake can't even dream of. And we've seen that at times. I don't want Kapanen all that worried or invested about coming back and picking anything up because my center is skating around like a headless chicken, which a lot of the time Evan Rodriguez does. I'm trying to get through this whole episode without being mean. I'm not succeeding. I just think you add some stability to your whole lineup by having Teddy in that spot for however long he's needed. And not any longer than that. I'm not overstating his value. I'm talking about just this circumstance. I think it's the way that Sullivan should go, and it will be fascinating to see which way he does go. When we come back, just one question. Welcome back. It's time for Just One Question. That's brought to you always by the good people at the Greater Pittsburgh Community Food Bank, where they are committed to providing food for all of our neighbors in need across the Commonwealth. To find out how you can help make a difference, visit pittsburghfoodbank.org. One dollar is all it takes to help them produce and deliver five full meals. One dollar equals five meals. pittsburghfoodbank.org. Today's question I love this one. comes from Clint Novak, who asks, Can you speak to your experience going to the Penguins-Rangers series in 1992 and how it might have been the most alive the igloo ever was? I could do about a one-hour dissertation on Game 4 alone, being honest with you. That's the one that stands out for me. For anybody who's unfamiliar with this or too young to be aware of it in 1992 the late Roger Nielsen was the coach of the Rangers at the time assigned no doubt in my mind Adam Graves one of his more skilled players a 50 goal guy at the time to go onto the rink early in that playoff round in Madison Square Garden and slash Mario Lemieux on the exposed portion of his wrist you know where you bend the wrist a little bit and the, the glove's upper protection comes up. Yeah, that. Right there. Pow. Cracked it. And it looked like Mario was going to be done for quite a while. This angered the local hockey fan base in a way that I'm pretty sure nothing has since and definitely never did before. At a time when there was not social media, at a time when there wasn't a way to build up or manufacture additional emotion beyond whatever, you know, regular old TV or newspaper or radio reports, 
this caused, it's hard to describe. It's hard to describe. But game three happened at the Civic Arena. And wouldn't you know, Adam Graves, of all people, scored because the NHL was still trying to deliberate on whether or not he should be suspended. This is back when you could get away with that sort of thing. The crowd's anger that night, and any of you who were there know exactly what I'm talking about, was such that there had to be Pittsburgh police put down by the Rangers' runway. People were just freaking out. It was ugly, pounding the glass every time he came on the rink, yelling, swearing, whatever. And I'm not acting above it. Believe me, okay? I was there. I was I was partaking. I was not a reporter back then. Game four comes along. The Rangers now have a two games to one series, and it feels like such an ill-gotten gain, you know, that by the time the 900 incredible things that happened in that game, and I remain convinced and will forever that this was the greatest single home game in the history of this franchise. By the time all of that, including Ronnie Francis's shot from center ice that beats Mike Richter and everything else happens, and you get Larry Murphy stripping that puck from Mark Messier in the low slot, turning and firing, and Francis deflects it past Richter in overtime, and the place just went just berserk. It's impossible to describe that emotion, and you know what? It's impossible to compare it to other events that have happened for this franchise, including on home ice, because this had that special sentiment that only comes with being really, really mad. When Mario scored his initial retirement goal, it might have been the most beautiful thing I'd ever seen on a sheet of ice in Pittsburgh, as well as the reaction. But it sure wasn't angry. When Chris Kunitz scored to beat the Senators in the Eastern Conference Final, it was loud and everything else at the current place can't you know, you can't compare it to anger. When Jordan Stahl scored that shorty against the Red Wings, again, place was just wild. And seeing Stahl's face, you know how he looks whenever he's all wound up, just doesn't, it's not the same thing. It's not the same thing as when you really, really hate the other guys, you know? That's what makes this one stand out. And of course, for anybody who doesn't know the rest of the story, Mario did come back had his wrist all bandaged up, and scored five zillion points the rest of the way, and the Penguins win the Stanley Cup, and the Rangers were still hearing chants of 1940-1940 for another couple of years. Boy, am I glad you brought that up, Flint. Good, good stuff, man. Thank you. Let's do another one of these daily shots of Penguins tomorrow. Anybody has something else like this they want to ask? I am so very totally game for it. (laughs) 